0: under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now here's your host, Thomas Irvin.
1: All right, verse one. Nebuchadnezzar the king. Unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me. How great are his signs, and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in mine house, and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts of my and the thoughts upon my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore made I a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me. Really? You know, we laugh at this, but this is what we do. We keep doing the same stupid thing over and over and wondering why we're not getting a different result. <laughs> that's the—that's the, literally the definition of insanity, is to do the same thing over and over, and expect a different result. And so if you did A last time, and the result was B, guess what the result of A the second time is going to be? (laughs) It's going to be B. So if you do it again, thinking, okay, this time, it's going to be something other than B. According to the definition, you're insane. (laughs) And so he brings in the same crowd, Verse 6, Therefore made I decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they might make known unto me the interpretation of the dream, though they couldn't the last time, but surely they can do it this time. Then came in the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers, same crowd, exact same people. And I I told the dream before them, but they did not make known unto me the interpretation thereof. But... At the last, Daniel came in before me. And so that's where we will pick up in just a moment. So Nebuchadnezzar the king and all the people, nations and languages that dwell in all the earth. He is fully aware that he is in charge of the earth. God gave him that, that, that position. God gave him that place. It belongs to him. He is the king. Uh, no, nobody's going to take his place. Nobody's going to move him off his throne except God. And then when God shows up to do that, all of a sudden he gets uncomfortable. And remember, people, nations, and languages. These are the same people that that he brought to bow down to his image. It's the exact same crowd, all the same people. Years later, here we are again. Peace be multiplied unto you. (laughs) Amen. Um, I mean... Considering that this is a guy who could cut you in pieces and turn your house into a dunghill, (laughs) this is nice. (laughs) It's a bit different this time. You know, he's not threatening to kill somebody and turn their house into the city sewage. (laughs) Instead, he's saying, peace be multiplied unto you. Problem is that the peace he has to offer, it's the world's peace. And that's good. I mean, we want, we want peace. We don't want people fighting and killing each other and doing all the horrendous things that people do to each other. But at the same time, it's very limited. The Lord is the only one who can provide you any lasting or substantial peace. Nebuchadnezzar can't do that. Now, Nebuchadnezzar could not kill you and cut you in pieces, <laughs> You know, that's funny. Peace to you all. I say, like, wait a minute, what is he saying? <laughs> Not peace is, but peace. You know, that's, that's a blessing. That's good. Um, he appears to be paying homage to the coming king who represents the stone cut without hands. Read, read again what he says. Verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar the king, unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied unto you, I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me. Who is this high God? And, and and why is he suddenly, look at verse 3, How great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Where would he have gotten that from? Daniel in chapter 2? Uh, sorry, king, you're, you're going to be taken off the throne. <laughs> Someone greater than you is going to smash all of you. And and it's a stone cut without hands. And when his kingdom is set up, it'll be an everlasting kingdom. Where would Nebuchadnezzar have learned this? When he looks into the fire and he says, there's one like unto the son of man. You know, that that I believe is is just the 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 natural reality that man knows God. He saw God. He knew who it was. But man doesn't know that God's kingdom is an everlasting kingdom unless somebody tells them. And so this could be an outworking of his relationship with Daniel or the other three Hebrew boys and all the other things that have been going on. But um, his, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. Look at Daniel 2, verses 44 and 45. You probably have these memorized by now. Right, Monica? And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms. And it shall stand forever. Verse 45, for as much as thou sawest, the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and that it that it break in pieces, the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver and the gold. The great God hath made known unto the king what shall come to pass hereafter. And the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof, sure. All right, so that, that's Nebuchadnezzar. That's, that's, that's his plan. Uh, he's going he's to honor the great God whose, whose kingdom is forever <laughs> for like two minutes. And then he completely forgets what it is he, he said he's going to do and how he's going to do it. The king made similar confessions in Daniel 2 and in Daniel 3. But here we are again, dealing with the same king who just doesn't seem to get it. Now, for whatever reason, God God wanted this man to get it. Um, God wanted him to understand. God wanted him to to know and to grow. And, um, you know, we talked about how um, the Lord. Let him go near that fire and nothing happened to him. And, you know, just all the incredible things that have happened with Nebuchadnezzar that I'm not sure you and I could have gotten away with. I'm not sure anybody else could have gotten away with. But Nebuchadnezzar did. And so there's something about this man. The Lord wants to get a hold of his heart. The Lord wants to deal with him. And um, he's just not. He's so deeply in. You know, it's like we we joke about some people here. I won't name any names. That would be fun. We say you can take the Ugandan out of the village, but you can't take the village out of the Ugandan.
0: <laughs>
1: I don't think the Holy Spirit can take the village out of the, out of the Ugandan. <laughs> and people in the village have developed some really strange ideas. And, and for some reason, they move to the city or they move to the town. And they instead of coming and seeing, well, nobody else does this, <laughs> and they're fine, like eating orphans after you have a baby. <laughs> a certain individual told me when my wife was pregnant with Adrian, that she, she, you have to make sure she eats the orphans or your baby won't be okay." <laughs> I said, "Brother, do you know how many, do you know how many women in America every year have babies?" No, I don't know probably hundreds of millions. There's 330 million people in America. If you imagine half of them are, are women, that's, that's over 150 million women. Now, let's say half of them have babies. That's 75 million ba- ba- women having babies. So you know how many of them eat orphals after they have a baby? Not one. <laughs> Not unless they came from the village in Uganda and moved to America. <laughs> And their babies are okay. (laughs) And so, it's just, it's amazing. It's interesting. It's a cultural thing. And so, this is what, I mean, it's my opinion, but I think this is part of what Nebuchadnezzar is struggling with. He's a Gentile king who will not be told anything. He does what he wants. He thinks what he wants. And who's, who's going to be the guy to go to you know, the king and say, you know, your understanding of God is wrong. <laughs> you, need, you need me to teach you more perfectly the word of God because you're ignorant when it comes to, to the God of heaven and earth. Who's going to be that guy? Not me. <laughs> I mean, I would like to, but how do you get the liberty to, to sit down with the king, especially a king that has this level of power and straighten out his improper doctrine? You just you don't get that chance, you don't get that opportunity. And so he continually thinks ridiculous things, he continually does ridiculous things, like I had a night vision. Let me bring in all the guys who couldn't tell me anything last time and see if they can tell me something this time. Why would you do that? The last crowd I'd be going to were the people who could do nothing last time. And it's it's amazing the wording, and at the last came in Daniel. <laughs> that means after everybody else had tried, now the, there are a couple of differences this time. At, you know, So first of all, Nebuchadnezzar remembered the dream. He said, I told them the dream. And they couldn't tell me what it meant. And this time, they did not try to manipulate the king. Last time he said, look, the, the thing is gone from me. And I know that you're just trying to buy time. You keep asking me what was the dream. I don't know what the dream was. You're going to tell me or I'm going to cut you in pieces and tear your house down and turn into a dunghill. <laughs> Either that's going to happen or you're all going to die. And, and I know you keep coming and asking me about the dream because you're just trying to buy time. You're just trying to manipulate this time. If he called me in and I failed last time, I'd be like, where's Daniel? (laughs) Can I come after Daniel? And and then I'll tell you what I think after Daniel tells you what he thinks and I hear what he says. uh, Because I don't know. If I give you the interpretation of the dream, it'll be it's completely my opinion. So my people all the time, they ask, I had this dream. What do you think it means? I don't know what that means. I know a guy who has a recurring dream, he has it over and over, that, a, that a, a rabid, gigantic bunny rabbit with big, nasty teeth chases him through the woods and tries to eat him. Hey, what do you think it means? I don't have a clue what that means. It means you need some help. <laughs> I don't know what that means. And so if I try to tell you what it means, it's completely my, my made-up opinion, There's nothing, there's no objective standard for how to interpret dreams unless you know the true and living God and he gives you the interpretation. If you're someone like Daniel and you could say, God revealed to me the interpretation. Then you can be like Daniel and say, and it's sure. Otherwise you say, this is what I think. I think you probably need to go get some help. (laughs) I think your brain needs a break from whatever it is you're doing. And, and and it's causing you to, What you take a medication? What kind of medication are you taking? That's what I want to know. All right, so otherwise I can't help you. All right, but God can, can reveal the dream. And, and in this case, you should also not assume that because you're having a dream or some dream or dreams, that it's God who sent it to you. It could be, but it also could be, from, from a scientific perspective, it seems that What dreams are. And again, they don't know. This is what they think is that when you go to sleep, your brain doesn't stop working. It continues doing what it's supposed to be doing. And sometimes there's so much stress on your brain that it's your brain's way of of dealing with that stress. And that's that's kind of where the where the dreams come from. That's the thinking of the hour. (laughs) Ask me in five years, it'll be completely different. But that seems reasonable. But, but I can't tell you that that's factual information. I can't tell you that that's 100% the way it is or what they are. Obviously, your brain's trying to work something out. You could be emotionally distraught. You could be mentally distraught. And you could be overly stressed. There are a number of things that could be happening. And your brain's trying to deal with something that you haven't dealt with. And as long as you don't deal with it, then your brain's going to have to find a way to do it. You know, stress is... When you, when you have a stressful life, it is, it is torturous to your body. Stress is a very real thing. It's, it's, it's incredible what stress is able to do to you mentally, emotionally, physically. It will physically break your body down. So if you don't find a way to deal with the stress in your life, remove yourself from it, resolve it, exercise, eat well, sleep... Do some of the things that are necessary for your body to be able to handle the level of stress you're under, it's going to break you down and cause you to have a short life. It's a very real thing. Now, whether that's why people have wild dreams or not, I again, it's it's a, it's an opinion. Don't know. It seems reasonable, but I don't. I don't. I can't. I can't tell you that for certain. Um. The king made similar confessions in Daniel 2 and 3, but the reality is that signs, visions, miracles, and wonders do not produce permanent change in a person. You must choose to trust the Lord. That is the only way real change is going to come about. Otherwise, we're going to do this with Nebuchadnezzar every 10 years, every five years, every year. This this situation, Nebuchadnezzar, so he's... Distolling the the God of heaven. Oh, he's wonderful. He's great. He's wonderful. Oh, by the way, I had this dream. (laughs) Here's the dream. Daniel comes in and says, God says he's going to humble you if you don't don't break off from your sins. And then he says, wow, that's incredible. Look how wonderful I am. (laughs) Did you you just hear Daniel? Daniel says as, as respectfully to a man who could order your death instantly as you can. King, please hear my counsel. Please break off from your sin. Twelve months later, Nebuchadnezzar is out behind the palace eating grass and acting like a wild animal. Twelve months. Twelve months. He completely forgot or didn't care or didn't believe it. Whatever the case may be. So you can get all the signs. Spell it however I want. Signs. Wonders, miracles, uh, visions, dreams. Everybody loves these things. Everybody wants them. And all the people in the Bible who, the thousands, the multitudes who followed Jesus Christ and saw most of these things were not converted. They died in their sins and went to hell. This does not bring conversion. That that rich man in hell said, please send someone back from the dead and tell my brothers. They'll believe that. Abraham said, they have the law and the prophets. If they will not hear the word of God and believe that, I could have lightning strike them in the ear and tell them who Jesus is, and that's not going to change them. It's not the signs, it's not the wonders. People always say, if I could just see a sign from God. You you might not want to see this sign from God. It may not be a good thing. You might want to stop asking for that. What you need to do is settle down with the word of God and let that change your heart. Because if that doesn't change your heart, there will be no change. People can entice you, people can pay you, They can offer you something. They can give you something. It can be a sign, a wonder, a money. Oh, it's a sign from God. I'm rich now. Maybe I should trust in Jesus. Said nobody ever. (laughs) When was the last time somebody became rich and said, oh, because I'm rich, now I'm going to go trust in Jesus and and help spread the gospel around the world. You don't know anybody that's done that. Because it doesn't exist. They might say, oh, thank God. Now we're going to the bar tonight. (laughs) You're confused. Verse, verse 4. Let's read verses 4 through 7 again. Daniel 4. Nebuchadnezzar the king unto all people, nations and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. Um, let's go to verse 4. That's what I said. But I was thinking about something else. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in mine house... And flourishing in my palace, I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts upon my, my bed and the visions upon my head troubled me. Therefore made I a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they might, that they might make known unto me the interpretation of the dream. Then, then came in the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the, and the soothsayers, and told The dream before them, but they did not make known unto me the interpretation thereof. So some of the commentators say this is about one year before he went mad, for God caused him to go mad. And then apparently one year after that, he died. One one year after his restoration, he died. So he lived for about one year. Um, You know, (laughs) I... It's, it's hard to tell what, ha- what, 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 what happened in Nebuchadnezzar. God said, he is my servant. He's doing my bidding. But multiple times, he defied God. It, it seems that in the time of the Gentiles, all right, the, the Gentiles, while they ruled the earth, were supposed to serve under God. <laughs> Hasn't gone too well. What you'll find, and this is somewhat, it's not contrary, it's just, um, it's not mentioned very much in, in a lot of modern teaching, but if you, if you trace through the Bible and you look at what God's trying to do repeatedly, he's trying to establish a kingdom, and he's trying to allow men to reign under that, over that kingdom under him. And every time he sets a man up over the kingdom, they fail. Until finally, the man, Christ Jesus, comes. And he establishes the kingdom. And he rules with a rod of iron. And there will be no more failure. There will be no more end to it. In fact, this idea of the kingdom, if you trace that through the Bible, it shows up far more than just about anything else. God's desire to establish a kingdom... Is, is dominant in the Bible. It takes precedence over preaching the gospel. It takes pre- precedence over the nation of Israel. God wants to form a kingdom and, and to have men reign over that kingdom dedicated to him. You just can't get anybody to do that. <laughs> they continually fail every step of the way. And so now you have the kingdom of, he- of heaven in Satan's hands. So the Lord comes down and he says, fine. We'll start the kingdom of God. (laughs) And that's in my hands. There'll be no taking the... There's no... no, The kingdom of God is not suffering violence and the violent are not going to take it by force. The kingdom of heaven, that's its current state. That is not the case with the kingdom of God. Um, I often find the Bible's choice of wording interesting and and it is significant. the The way that God chooses to word things. Nebuchadnezzar said he saw a dream. Isn't that interesting? It's like he's sitting back watching it. But that's what we do. We, we don't, now the terminology we use, at least in America, we say, I had a dream. I went to bed last night and I had a dream. Well, you didn't have it. You didn't possess it or own it. You just saw it. And so it's actually the proper, more accurate terminology. We don't usually speak of dreams in this manner, but I think it's a more ex- more accurate explanation because the dream is in, in your mind. It's in your head. You're, you're seeing it play out in your mind. Sometimes, so who has really vivid dreams in here? Anybody? Who has dreams? Okay. You look like you're scared to answer. <laughs> Nobody thinks you're a night dancer. Or anything. Uh, so yeah, I, I guess I, I've never heard a Ugandan talk about their dreams. So that's interesting. What do you dream about in Uganda? <laughs> do I want to know? <laughs> what? What do you dream about?
0: <laughs>
1: At a party eating, of course. <laughs> Of course. We know where Waibi's head's at. So Waibi's head is not getting rid of stress. It's saying, I'm still hungry. (laughs) And he doesn't eat dinner. So so that's why he goes to bed. He just dreams of food. (laughs) Uh, Anyways, what do you dream about? You don't remember. Who else? What do you dream about? different things. You, <laughs> you people are worse than Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> the thing is gone from me. <laughs> no, you me the
0: dream.
1: <laughs> my dream? Dreams? I don't know. I haven't had one in a long time. Well, I had one recently that it was kind of a sad one, so I'm not going to repeat it, but I remember it. And so I think I typically remember my dreams. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I wake up and I know I had a dream and it was very real, but I can't remember what happened. But it was so vivid. One time I was, when I was, um, I was 15, I think, my stepfather told me if I saved money, he would, whatever, however much money I saved from working, he would match that money and I could buy a car for my first car. So I saved like, I was, I was working at a pizza place making pizza, and probably eating too much pizza at the same time, and, uh, but I, you know, I, I was very athletic, and ran, and played, and, and, and was always in sports, and stuff, so I was, I could eat a lot of pizza back then, not now, (laughs) and uh, so I, I I saved up $3,000, and so that man, he was going to match my $3,000, and I would have $6,000, and I could buy a car, and it, you know, 16, I was 15, about to turn 16, about to get my license in America, you get your license at 16 and, um, and you can own your own car and all that. And, and, and so I was all excited because I found this beautiful 1965 Chevy Impala, which is an old American muscle car. And it was $6,000 and they had completely restored the outside. It was electric blue with white racing stripes. I mean, it was this big American muscle car. It was beautiful. They had rebuilt, put this, this completely restored and rebuilt engine in it. And, and you turned it on, it just sounded beautiful. Now, the inside was still a, a bit of a, they needed a lot of work on the inside. But they'd already done all the outside. And man, I, w- I was drooling over this car. And my stepdad said, if I get you that car, you'll be dead in an hour. (laughs) I was like, that wasn't a stipulation. You said if I came up with money, you would match it, and I could buy whatever car I want. You didn't say it couldn't be something that wouldn't kill me. (laughs) And so he wouldn't let me get the car. And I was so mad. It was a beautiful car. So I went to sleep that night, and I had a dream that the car was in the driveway. (laughs) I woke up in the morning and went outside <laughs> looking for the car because I was certain that car was out there. And I'm just standing there looking, and I was so confused. Like, what happened? What? The car was there, and it's not there. I, like, I, I, that dream was so real, I thought the car was there. And it wasn't. So instead, he wanted to buy this, oh, man, this huge, ugly piece of trash <laughs> I I feel like I got set up. So, but I'm probably standing here today because he did not buy me that car. (laughs) You don't buy a 16 year old, a muscle car that can, that can just rip the street apart. It's just not a good idea. So anyways, um, he saw a dream. I just, I think that terminology is really accurate because what are you doing? You're just laying back asleep. And, and this this thing is playing out in your head, and but you see it so clearly, like you're there. That's what's so odd, is because you know you you look through your eyes and you see things a certain way. When I'm having the dream, I see things the same way, as though I'm looking through my eyes, and I'm not. It's it's all in my head. You're looking at me like I'm crazy, but that's the way it goes. Now Nebuchadnezzar fared sumptuously, which often is not conducive to humility. Everybody thinks they want to be rich. And so what they mean, what they're saying without, without saying it, is that is that they want to do well in this life, but could care less about the next. That's not a good proposition. If you could be a multimillionaire tomorrow, and it caused you forget, to forget about God, you did not come out better. You did not come out well. And how many, I've told you before about Wall Street and places like it, how, how many multimillionaires in this world won't give God two thoughts? I'm rich. Look at me. Look what I have. I don't need your God. No, you, you're a fool. And that money's not going to buy you out of hell. You can't take it with you. It's not going to benefit you spiritually. In fact, it's already made you spiritually dead and it's going to help you stay there. And so if you, if you can't, it's like that man in the Bible who said, Lord, <laughs> you know, I don't want to be rich, but I don't want to be poor. Just give me <laughs> right what I need <laughs> so that I remember you <laughs> and don't forget you, but I also don't have to go beg for food. That's probably the safe place to be. That's probably the right place to to, to keep ourselves. The self-centered nature of his thoughts are difficult to consider. This is a man whose self-interest comes first. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, to to be fair, Nebuchadnezzar will probably, on the last night of class, before um, before you get to write your essay, which everybody's excited about, Right no. Which most of you are excited about, right? <laughs> um, I, 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 ho- I, I intend to finish everything one night early so that the, the the last night that we have, if I've planned it properly, which I'm pretty sure I have, so the five so yeah, the 15th, May 15th, um, what we'll do is um, I, I plan to go over several details about prophecy related to Daniel and uh, maybe some background about Babylon. <clears throat> but Babylon, when Nebuchadnezzar took it over, was doing well. I mean, it was, it was on its way to, to... It was doing fine. It was not hurting, necessarily. But Nabopolassar, the, his father, uh, kind of joined with the Medes and, and made what came to be known the Medes and the Persians, or the empire, that united empire. And when they joined together... They, started, they began breaking down Assyria, and they began becoming more powerful. Well, by the time it gets to Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar made Babylon something magical. It was not just an ordinary city. I mean, the, the city walls were 85 feet wide. That's almost 90 feet. That's almost 30 meters wide. They were 350 feet high. You could you could ride six chariots side by side on the top of the wall, which they did as a show of force. I mean, was, he had these hanging gardens. There were no, uh, from what I, if I remember correctly, there were no mountains or, or or mountain ranges within the city, or or at least you know not close by. So he made these hanging gardens, where you could go walk through a garden that's hanging in the sky. He came up with these elaborate means of providing water to these gardens. His wife used to like to sit there, sit in the, in the gardens when the water was on because it was like sitting in the rain. I mean, it was, we're talking about in this day, something so incredible, so elaborate, I don't even know, I don't know where you could go today to see something that matches what he produced in his day. Now, imagine you're the king over all that, and you're standing in your palace, looking out over it. You might be tempted to say, look what I did. But you shouldn't say that, because you didn't do it. It's not yours. Even Even if you did make those things happen, all the material still belongs to God. You were still made by God. You'll never get to the point to where you, can't, you cannot give honor and glory to God for whatever you have. You know, a scientist look, Oh, we, we made this new medicine. We don't need God. Look at the medicine we made. Where did you get the materials from? Well, we got it from the earth. Where would the earth come from? <laughs> it came from God. You have nothing without God. Well, we have this new, we found this new discovery. Yeah, you discovered something that already existed, God made it. Now, thank God you discovered it, and I hope it helps people. But why can't you say, we discovered this, thank God. Instead, they say, we discovered this, look how wonderful we are. <laughs> You're not wonderful. I mean, you, you found something. That's all you did. And you want to, every man will proclaim his own goodness. That's, that's one of our passages. We'll, we'll look at that in just a minute. Nebuchadnezzar is unbelievably self-centered. Now, not not without reason. It it amazes me the number of people who exist in the world who have never accomplished anything, and they have the same arrogance that Nebuchadnezzar has. (laughs) Nebuchadnezzar has accomplished something with his life. Now, that doesn't justify it, but if you have never done anything, you have never accomplished anything, what are you so proud of? My stepdad used to say that to me all the time. You know, I, I never met my father. My mom was 16 years old and homeless when she had me. You know, years later, my stepdad, my, my mom went through several abusive relationships and, and all that garbage. And so then she meets my stepdad. And by the time my stepdad came along, I was ready to fight anybody that came in the door. It was, all you're going to do is show up and abuse my mom. Well, then you better be ready. I've got a baseball bat. I've got BB guns. I've, I've got whatever, whatever it is I need to make you miserable so that you leave. And he wouldn't leave. <laughs> he stayed. And we used to get into these arguments. And one day he asked me, he said, or he used to say it frequently. He would say, what are you so proud of? You've never accomplished anything. <laughs> and I would get mad because it was true. I hadn't accomplished anything. And I was trying to just defend the little bit of territory I thought I had. <laughs> and... Um, If you have no reason to, you know, people think far too highly of themselves. If all you do is sit on a boda all day and watch dust, (laughs) what is there to be so proud of? How how can you possibly be so arrogant? And that lack of humility is very dangerous. It's going to get you in a lot of trouble. It's going to cause God to have to deal with you. I wonder how much of our chastisement from God is directly related to our personal pride. Because we always think so well of ourselves. We always think our intentions are the absolute best. We always always assume what I am doing is probably right. (laughs) And the Lord probably told me to do it. (laughs) Well, You've got to be able to stop what you're doing, step back, look at it honestly... And be willing to accept rebuke even from yourself. I can't tell you how many times a day I have to tell myself, you're, what you're doing right now is not what you're supposed to be doing. Stop it. Get back to what you're supposed to be doing. You know, your mind starts drifting, and then all of a sudden you're, you're on a side road doing something that had nothing to do with what you're trying to accomplish, and I have to say, all right, no. Stop this. Go back to what I'm supposed to be doing. Stay focused. There's so much that needs to be done. There's so much that needs to be accomplished. And we can't get anything done because we're so proud of ourselves and think so highly of ourselves. We just assume that souls are probably going to flock to Christ because I just walked in the door. And that's not going to happen. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And he will exalt you in due time. The problem is people keep asking, well, when is due time? (laughs) What's what What's taking him so long? If God would hurry up, then I wouldn't, have to, I wouldn't have to get ahead of him. Well, you're going to get ahead of him, and he's going to slow you down. It's an amazing thing. God, God literally says, if you will humble yourself, I will exalt you. But if you won't, I will abase you. You don't want to put God in a position to have to do that. You want to do it to you. You want to be your own worst critic. You want to discipline yourself. Personal discipline is one of the most important things you can develop in this world. Get your body under control. Get up. Get up on time. Find out whatever it is you're supposed to be doing that day. Do it right. Do it well. Do it diligently. Don't waste time. And the more personally disciplined you are, the the, the far more that God can use you. I think that is one of the most important themes of the book of Daniel, related to the excellent spirit that Daniel had. It's because he was willing to control himself in accord with the word of God. It's not enough to just be disciplined. There has to be a, a disciplinary structure. And the disciplinary structure is the word of God. What does God say I'm supposed to be doing right now? That's what I'm going to try and do, and I'm going to do it right. I'm going to do it faithfully. I'm going to do it as unto the Lord. I don't care who's looking. I don't care who sees it. A lot of stuff that I do, I'm completely on my own here. Nobody sees it but the Lord. Very little of it gets seen outside of what I do on a daily basis. I study, I read, I write, I record, I preach, I teach. I want want people through me to hear, learn, and use, and apply the Word of God as faithfully as possible. Well, in order to do that, you've got to learn it. After you learn it, you've got to teach it. After you teach it, you've got to put it somewhere where people can get their hands on it. And it can't just be in the digital world. It has to be face-to-face. It's got to be real people. The digital world, that's fine. That's great. That's wonderful. It It seems to help a lot of people. So they say. And I hope it does. But there's nothing, as, as, there's nothing as, as, as helpful as dealing with people face-to-face. You can't leave that out. And it's so easy, especially in Western worlds, and it's becoming an easier in Uganda, to escape reality by, by living in some digital fake world that doesn't actually exist. And then when the real world comes crumbling down around you, You're surprised because you've been living in this digital world and when you start looking around you and wondering why everything's falling apart, well, you tried to maintain Facebook. You didn't maintain your life. Facebook is not your life. Instagram, TikTok, all this garbage, none of that is your life. That is fake. I don't take one thing online serious. Not on social media. There there is... You have so much access to so much helpful information that could, that could build you up and help you to build the next generation of people. And instead, people go online and they look at football, which helped no one ever. It costs you money to watch somebody kick a ball. Why would you do that? But he's fast. Okay, it kicked a ball fast. There's an American general, I think it was General Mattis. He's he's a pretty incredible man. He said, if you've read less than 100 books in your life, you are effectively illiterate. You should be reading. You should be learning. You should be, on a daily basis, you should be improving yourself and building yourself up and becoming more Christ-like. And if you're not doing that, you are wasting your life and you are wasting your time. The most powerful people in the world are articulate. They can speak and they can write. And they will wear you out because they know how to use words and ideas effectively and accurately in such a way that they will box you in and you don't know what to do. You're supposed to be one of those people. But if you're not reading, and you're not studying, and you're not spending your time in the Word of God, and you're not spending your time building yourself up, not just physically, that's okay, that's good, but mentally, emotionally, then you're wasting your time. Nebuchadnezzar, he was self-centered and self-interested, but for all the wrong reasons. It wasn't so he could help somebody else. He wasn't building himself up so that God could use him to be a blessing to others. He was just building himself up. (laughs) And then proud of himself after his... God said, Nebuchadnezzar, I'm making you the the head of gold. You're you're a king of kings. You're the head of gold. You're the start of Gentile powers. Look how great I am. Look what I've done. (laughs) You didn't do that. God did that. And now you're about to find out what God does to people who refuse to humble themselves. He says he was at rest, but physical earthly rest is not comparable to the rest that Jesus Christ promises those who trust him. It's not the same thing. You can lay down to go to sleep, you could try and get that, that physical rest your body so desires. But you're so distraught spiritually or emotionally, you never get to sleep. You lay there in misery. Physical rest is good. You need it. Now, not all day. (laughs) Not nonstop. You don't sleep till 8, 9, 10 o'clock and then get up, get something to eat, and then go back to sleep. (laughs) Get up. Do something with your life. It's up to you you know, many of you in this room, you have a lot of liberty, you have a lot of freedom to be able to actively pursue whatever you want. What are you doing with it? You just sleep half the day and then kind of do a mediocre job at whatever you do with the few hours that you're awake? Think about what it is you want to be. Think about what it is you want to do, and then you need to set about making a schedule that will allow you to accomplish that and to do it Rapidly, faithfully, and diligently. Don't waste your life. This passage perfectly illustrates this reality. He is flourishing. He is at rest. He is in the protection of his great palace. And one dream ruins it all. The Bible says the sleep of a laboring man is sweet. You wake up and you set about serving God and maintaining your responsibilities diligently throughout the day. And when you go to bed that night, (laughs) you will sleep. You will sleep good. This time, Nebuchadnezzar remembers the dream. And for some reason, he brings in the same losers to try and interpret the dream. that's, That's just madness. That's... But it's, again, we already talked about it, but it's a beautiful picture of how we live life. I don't know why this keeps happening. If it keeps happening, it means you're, you're doing the same thing over and over to cause it to keep happening. Stop doing that. Find out what it is you're doing that's causing it to happen and do something else. I never have any money. Well, Quit spending it. <laughs> quit borrowing it. Quit going deeper into debt. Quit going to sports betting. Quit quit buying garbage you don't need. Whatever it is you're doing, if you're constantly in a situation where you have no money, you need to go back and find out why it is I have no money and then fix it. I have no time. Really? You have the same time that Nebuchadnezzar has. You have the same time. We talked about Elon Musk a couple weeks ago. Works three full-time jobs. We all have the exact same time that he has. He has just chosen to do something productive with his time. You have time. You need to organize it. You need to do something with it. M- money and time have to be assigned. You can't just let them flow in the wind. You, you, can, I, you know, If you look at how Ugandans keep their money in their pocket, that's a beautiful picture of of how you organize your finances. You <laughs> got comes up, and like, uh, do you have 5,000 shillings? And they pull out this wad of stuff. And it's just bills all wadded together. It's like, what is that? You don't even know it's there. And they start picking through to find, it. oh, there it is. It's like, what? As soon as you give, I would venture to say Brother Keith is the same way, me or Brother Keith money, this is what's gonna happen to it. I want to know what's there and how to get it and organize it and do something with it. Not pull out this wad of, (laughs) It's, it's like you took, you know, it's like this is your money. It's in there somewhere. Organize. Know what's there. Money has to be assigned and given a purpose as soon as you get it. Otherwise, what are you going to do with it? It's going to flow right out the door. God said, he said to the Israelites, you come up up with money and you put it on the table and I blow on it. And he blows it right off the table and they're like, where'd my money go? He said in Haggai, you earn money and you put it in a bag with holes. Don't do that. Lord, what do you want me to do with this money? How do I spend it? How do I save it? How much am I going to save every month and make sure That every month, even if it's a tiny bit, I am collectively moving towards something positively useful with my money. My time. What a precious gift. Every day when I look at my son and my daughter and I see them rapidly growing, I I see every day I'm running out of time. One day they're going to be grown and they're not going to want to come running to me in the living room and give me a hug. They're going to want to go, live their own lives. Little brats. (laughs) Bethany is grounded for 89 years or until I die. That means she has to stay with me until I die or until she reaches 89. Whichever comes first, then she can leave. (laughs) She can't get married while she's grounded. (laughs) Running out of time. She's two years old. Yeah, but that two years went very fast. And the rest of it's going to go very fast. You've got to think about what you're doing with your time. I I will be 42 years old this month or this year, sometime this year, September, somewhere around about there. Y'all have birthdays, too, so just figure out when yours is. When I was 20, I couldn't imagine being 40. But 20 to 40 goes rapidly. And 20 to 40, I didn't get saved till I was 29 years old. Is I wasted 29 years of my life. You don't even have the option of 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 really doing anything properly productive if you're not saved. <laughs> All you're going to do is you're going to, be, you're going to be diligent, you're going to be productive to add to, to the comforts of this world, and then you're going to die and go to hell. <laughs> what did you accomplish? That's not what I want. I want to serve Jesus Christ until I die. I want to be in ministry until I die, Lord, Lord helping me. But I want to be productive in doing those things. And I want you to be productive in doing those things. Ugandans have to break free from this this village mentality that I'm just gonna do enough to get by today. That's not good enough. You have a God in heaven who has access to whatever in the world you need to be successful in ministry. You're not limited to where you are. You're only limited by the God you serve in heaven. That's not a very good limitation. So what that means is that if you don't accomplish something, it's because you just chose not to do it. You just chose not to apply yourself. Daniel is a eunuch captive in Babylon. (laughs) That's about as bad as it gets. And now he's in control of the country. Because he trusted God rather than just saying, they they mutilated my body, they've made me a slave, I mean, I can't take me out of my homeland. What am I going to do? I can't do anything. I would say he accomplished a great deal because he was diligent, because he was faithful. And he stayed true to God. Once again, they failed to do what what he asked until the man who has a faithful relationship with God enters the room. This is a great picture of witnessing in in America today. Many of our college students are taught they cannot know anything. They go to college, they go to university, they pay sometimes, I mean, they, most of them pay thousands of dollars, some pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to get a high-level university degree in America, and after getting that degree, what they have learned is that they can't learn anything. Why would you do that? Just come to me, give me half the money, and I'll tell you you can't know anything. And then give me them, and we're all happy. I'll even give you a piece of paper that says you have a degree. We we go to witness to them on the streets. We stand there and we tell them, you know, Jesus died on the cross for you. You don't know that. Well, I do know that. I saw it in the Bible. Well, you don't know what the Bible says. I do know what it says. I've read it. How do you know you've read it? Because I put my eyes on the paper and I read the words. How do you know those words? They literally are taught to question everything. They don't believe you can know anything. We'll ask them, we're standing on the street corner. Now in America, the street corner where we stand in the land has the street sign hanging there. Very clearly seen at night, it lights up. (laughs) And we'll ask them, well, what street corner are we on? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? How did you get here and you don't know what street corner you're on? And they get mad. They, think, they feel like I'm insulting them. It's like, no, you're, why, why is it you don't know what street corner we're on? Well, I don't know who put those signs there. It doesn't matter. It's still a marker that tells you what street corner you're on. Whoever put it there, it's still a physical marker hanging there that's not coming down by tomorrow that says what street corner you're on. And, and they keep playing the game. So, so I'll, I'll ask them, Well, who's the first president of the United States of America? I don't know. You don't know? How'd you get in college you don't know who the first president of the United States of America is? Well, you think I'm stupid? Yes, I do. You don't know anything. You have to be stupid. It's required of you. And you're admitting to it. And so we have a brother in our church who will say, well, I know the all-wise God, so why don't you just shut up and listen to me, because he's taught me some things, since I know him, I can know some things, and now I'm going to tell you that you're going to die and go to hell if you don't trust in Jesus Christ. And, and they have a, there's a class in their college, and colleges all across America called Critical Thinking, which used to be a very good class, used to be a very helpful class that would teach you to think critically about the world, not question whether, it, whether you can know anything or not, but, but they would teach you how to take a piece of information, uh, uh certain important information, and they teach you how to pick it apart and verify its validity. That's not what they do anymore. They just tell you, don't, you don't, you can't know anything at all. I said, well, how do you know you can't know anything? Well, What do you mean? In order to know that you don't know something, that's knowledge. How do you know that? I don't... Uh, what do you mean? No, you know exactly what I mean. Now your whole philosophy is falling apart with one stupid question. They'll say, there's no absolute truth. Are you absolutely sure? Uh, no, you can't be sure. You can't know whether there's absolute truth or not. Because when you say that, when you say that you're making an absolute statement. When you say there is no absolute truth, you're insinuating that that is absolutely true, which means that absolute truth exists. You're retarded. You went to a college. The guy had a big degree and a fancy name and you bought everything he said and you didn't think about it. It really falls apart when we start talking about money. How much money do you have in your bank account? $1,000. How do you know? You don't know that you have $1,000 in the bank. You you can't come tell me you don't know what street corner we're on, but you know how much money you have in the bank. It doesn't work. It's broken. It's, It's all falling apart. How many hours did you work this week at work? Well, I worked 40 hours. Your boss says it's 20. Nobody knows anything, so which one is right? Because if you think you worked 40 and he thinks you worked 20, you're only going to get half your pay. Well, what is pay anyways? Nobody knows what that is. So you probably did it for free, right? Well, no. Well, how do you know you didn't do it for free? Maybe you did do it for free. Well, no, I didn't do it for free. How do you know? You don't know anything. And it's just, it's just a stupid circle that they keep running in. And then when you start picking apart the most basic elements of life, they don't know what to do with it anymore. Nebuchadnezzar knew these men could not tell him the dream. He knew last time he found out vividly they cannot give me the interpretation of the dream. Why don't you bring those guys back in and let's ask them again? (laughs) Why? There's a guy that you fell on your face and worshipped him when he told you the dream and the interpretation. Now you know the dream and just need the interpretation. Why would you not bring in the same guy? That's what you do. So you come to Uganda and you deal with people who they say... No, I'm not a sinner. Really, (laughs) you're not a sinner. Wow, that's amazing. Because God said you were. (laughs) I just found out God's a liar. Or you talk to Ugandans and they say, "Oh, I'm I'm born again." (laughs) Great. What does that mean? All right, but but these are things you can open a Bible and you can deal with people and show them things, and Ugandans will see from the Bible and they'll say, "Okay, I see. What I said was dumb. I I made a mistake. I need to. I either need to get right." Or at least admit that I was wrong and that was right if I'm not going to trust in Jesus Christ. You go to America and you open the Bible, this is what the Bible says. I don't believe none of that. Get that out of here. You can't even get the Bible open. (laughs) America's comfortable. America's rich. Everything is good in America. The food is better. The money's better. The houses are better. The air conditioning. The electricity the cell phones, everything's so good. So good that you don't need God. So good that it it, it allows stupidity to flourish and it's all going to come crashing down. It's America's future if they don't wake up and do something. The Bible has something to say about idleness of time. When you live in a country like America, you have all the liberty you want to be as idle as you want. You stay too idle for too long in Uganda or countries like it, you're going to be hungry. You're going to take a hard life and make it even harder. And most people are not willing to do that. If you're idle in America, the government will come give you money. Your you're idle in America, the government will come give you food. They'll come give you health care. And so the idleness just becomes perpetual. It's not a good thing for your government to provide your basic needs because you know what's next? Remember that freedom you used to enjoy? <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to take that from you. I mean, we, we provide your food. We provide your housing. We provide your health care. I mean, we're providing for all your needs. What do you need with that freedom? We'll also give you a church to go to. We'll provide everything you need. We'll be your mommy and your daddy. And about half our country are willing to let that happen, and about half our country are not willing to let that happen. We're going to find out pretty soon who's going to win or what direction we go in. You don't want to be idle. People here come up to us all the time. Can you help me get to America? Why? What, do you, what would you do if you, when you got there? What do you think is there? What movie did you watch and you thought that was America?
0: <laughs>
1: it doesn't matter where you are. Paul said, I have learned to be content in whatsoever state I am in. But Paul didn't sit around doing nothing. So if you sit around Uganda doing nothing, what are you going to do when you go to America? Sit around and do nothing. It's not not going to be any better. But if you're in Uganda, you will be faithful and you'll be diligent and you'll work hard. God said there is profit in all labor. When people come to me and they say, I have no money, it's because you don't labor. (laughs) Yes, I do. Well, God said there's profit in all labor. You said you don't have any profit. So either God's lying or you're not working. And I don't think God's lying. If you, do, if you are working and you are earning money and you still have no money, then that means you're mismanaging the profit you're receiving. And that's not good either. Anyways, so Nebuchadnezzar brings in all his wise men and they fail to interpret the dream. This time they had the knowledge of the dream. He told them the dream. He said, I brought him in. I told him the dream. And they knew nothing. <laughs> so what would have happened last time if he told them the dream? Nothing. <laughs> they wouldn't have known it. They still would have died. <laughs> would have gone nowhere. I find it interesting in, in, um, in Daniel... In Daniel 2, it seems they wanted to manipulate the king. But in Daniel 4, they literally just say, we don't know. Now, I think, I don't know, but I think after being threatened to be killed in Daniel 2, they're not going to play games this time. They're just going to say, look, king, we don't know. They're going to say, well, what this means, king, is..." Um, uh, and you just start making stuff up. And many of them are good at that. They know how to do that. They know how to manipulate. They know how to take your your ideas and your words and manipulate it so it sounds like they're saying something. And they're not. They're just making stuff up. And so this time they're a little more sober. And they just say, look, king, we don't know. I have no idea. Where's Daniel? (laughs) You're going to need the same guy. Now, again, Daniel seems to be missing to some extent. Where is he when all this happens? How is he brought in at the last? Like last time, or you know, like like in Daniel 3 when he's not on the scene at all. Why wasn't he brought immediately? Where was he? What was he doing? When he is finally brought in, he demonstrates that he is still uh, reliant upon the God of heaven. Nothing has changed for Daniel. Apparently nothing has changed for the other guys either. They haven't learned anything. But... But Daniel has Daniel knows what he's doing, and he's going to tell them he's going to tell them the interpretation. Um, but Daniel, strangely, I say strangely, but and, and we'll, we'll read it again in a second. He's he's almost heartbroken over this. Like he he doesn't know how to take this. Um, you know, this is a king that ripped him from his family, destroyed. Jerusalem, potentially killed Daniel's family, made him a eunuch, and he's grieved at what's going to happen to the king. Let's read Daniel 4, verses 8 through 14. But at the last Daniel came in before me, whose name was Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And before him I told the dream, saying, O Belshazzar, master of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in thee, and no secret troubleth thee, tell me the visions of my dream that I have seen and the interpretation thereof. Thus were the visions of mine head in my bed I saw, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and the height thereof was great. The tree grew and was strong, and the height thereof reached unto heaven, and the sight thereof, to the end of all the earth, the leaves thereof were fair, and the fruit thereof much, and in it was uh, meat, meat for all. The beast of the field had shadow under it, and the fowls of the heaven dwelt in the, in the boughs thereof, and all flesh was fed of it. I saw in the vision of my head upon my bed, and behold, a watcher and an holy one came down from heaven. He cried aloud and said thus, Hew down the tree and cut off his branches. Shake off his leaves and scatter his fruit. Let the beast get away from under it and the fowls from, its, from his branches. Now, it's interesting. Did you notice the change in terminology? Look back at verse 14. He cried and said, Thus, hew down the tree. All right, so what are we talking about? As far as we know, we're talking about a tree, right? We keep reading. And cut off his branches. Then it continues, shake off his leaves and scatter his fruit. Let the beast get away from under it and the fowls from his branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump of his roots in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass in the tender grass of the field and let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from man's and let a beast's heart be given unto him and let seven times pass over him. Now look at that again in verse 16. Let his heart be changed into, and, and let it be a beast's heart. So, you know, it's obvious they're talking about a person. We, they went from illustrating a tree being hewn, hewn down to a person being dealt with in a very severe manner. Um, look at look at verse seventeen. This matter is by the decree of the watchers and the demand and the demand by the word of the of the holy ones, to the intent that the living may know that the most high ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will, and setteth up over it the beast of men, the the basis of men. This dream I Nebuchadnezzar have seen. And there it goes again. He said, "I saw a dream." Now he's saying, "I have seen this." Now, therefore, O Belteshazzar, declare the interpretation thereof. For as much as all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known unto me the interpretation, but thou art able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in thee. If he knew that, <laughs> yeah, but he he knew Daniel was able to give the interpretation. He knew Daniel had something unique about him and was able to do this. Where's the other guys? Bring them in here instead. (laughs) Why? Do you know why we do stuff like this? Because we want to get rid of our sin, but mm, maybe not completely. Maybe just a little bit. We want to get rid of some faulty idea or something we're doing wrong, but... Maybe not entirely, just partially. Because when you bring somebody in who's going to tell you what you need to hear, that's going to change things. Now now you're going to know without a doubt what you're doing. You need to stop and you need to fix it and then you need to change. But if you can bring somebody in who will tell you what you want to hear or who will say, I don't know. That's that's very different. Now you can still semi-continue in what, what you were doing. And you can even justify it by saying, Well, I I, I talked to, you know, I got, I sought counsel and they didn't know. <laughs> well, if you're heading towards, if you're if you're in a car and it's about to drive off a cliff, you're gonna say, Well, I talked to the driver. He didn't say, he said he didn't know if we're gonna go off the cliff or not. You're driving towards the cliff. <laughs> Get out of the car. And if your life is heading over a cliff, stop what you're doing. Figure out what it is, get it under control, and go a different direction. Because once it once it once it leaves that cliff, this is what everybody wants. I'm going to jump off the cliff, and then God will catch me before I hit the bottom. Uh, Probably not. He's going to be sitting in heaven, looking like, "Why did he jump off the cliff?" That was dumb. Why did he do that? <laughs> but we do the same thing with our lives. We make bad decisions. We do nothing. We, we're, we're lazy. We're, we're distracted. We're sinful. We have all these problems going on. And then we keep doing them and wondering why we have problems. Well, did you do anything to try and correct the problems? Did you do anything to change course? Did you Did you repent? Did you get busy? You know, did you did you break out of your laziness and your slothfulness? Did you whatever it is? Well, no, I didn't do any of that. I was praying and hoping God would do it for me. That's not how it works. God said for you to do those things. God gives he gave us the spirit, the Holy Spirit, and then he gave us his words, and then he said, "Now you go do that." And when you get to a part that you can't do, you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, He'll help you do the part you can't do. Well, in order to do that, you've got to get out of bed. Get up. Get busy. Serve God. Serve your brethren. Serve your sister-in. <laughs> Life is not about you. But in order for you to live your life, you got to get up and do something. If you got toxic people in your life who are misleading you, get rid of them. I don't care who they are. If my mother, I love my mom, my mom can be, I hope she doesn't listen to this, I love you, mom. She's wonderful. No, she is wonderful. But she can be hard to deal with. And She's not toxic, but if she was, you can guarantee that I would be like, I love you. When you're ready to get rid of all that, you come back. Until then, you're not allowed over here. Don't call. Don't come see my family. I'm not going to have a bunch of toxic people around that are that are causing emotional and 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 physical and mental stress unnecessarily. If you can't keep yourself together and act, act respectfully around people, then you got to go. Now, my mom doesn't do that. I, that, was, that was a bad example, but... If she did, my point is, it doesn't matter who it is, she would have to go. If you have someone, if there is, if you have a clear idea what God wants you to be, you need to get around people who are going to encourage you and help you to be what God wants you to be. If you want to be a godly mother and wife, it's not going to help you to be around a bunch of women who are not, Wives and not mothers what can they show you about being a mother or a wife nothing in fact there's probably a reason they're not married and don't have children and it's probably not good now they'll explain it in a way that makes it sound spiritual or heroic or whatever all I know is (laughs) women want to be married and have children and you didn't do that (laughs) Something's not right. If you want to be a husband, why are you running around with a bunch of guys playing football? (laughs) Probably not going to find a wife there or learn how to be a husband there. You've got to get around people who are going to teach you how to be a godly husband and learn from them how to do that. You should find people who have good, godly homes that are well-ordered, well-structured, and you should ask that person, I need you to teach me how to do that. Because it has to be learned. You know, having children is one of the strangest vocations in the world. They just pop up one day, and you got about 18 years to get it right. You get one chance. (laughs) But you've never had children before. You have no clue what you're doing, and you got to figure it out. The, The night Bethany was born... Bethany was born in a camping cabin in, in the woods in Tennessee, where I'm from. That means we're in the middle of nowhere, in a small little cabin. It wasn't even as big as this room, the whole, the whole thing. It was just a room with a little kitchen area and a bathroom and a, and a bed in the side. That, that was the whole, whole thing. It was maybe half the size of this room. The lady, my, my, we were having the baby at home, and the, the midwife called, and my wife was getting to know her, and she said... Uh, where are you having the baby? So, well, we're renting a cabin in, in, in the woods here in Tennessee. There was a silence on the phone. <laughs> and she said, does it, does it have water and electricity? <laughs> I'm like, Yes, it has water. I mean, it's not, you know, it's it's not like, I mean, it's out there, but it's not so far out there, it doesn't have electricity and water. And and she said, Okay, no problem. So she comes and we have the baby, everything goes great. It was our first you know, your first time having a baby, you don't have a clue what you're doing. You just thank God for people who are there, who know what they're doing. And uh, I remember I, w- I was trying to help Kristen, and she's in pain and walking around and trying to, you know, uh, deal with the pain of labor. And, and I said, you want me to read Genesis 3 to you? <laughs> 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 no. <laughs> I was like, uh, okay, so I'm just kind of trying to hang out and help her. And I look over on the couch, and there's two midwives just sitting on the couch. And I was like, so, I mean, you guys just kind of hang out while all this is going on. I, mean, I don't, I don't, you don't have a clue what you're doing. And, and so we had the baby and praise God, everything went unbelievably well. And the baby comes out and he said, and the, the midwife says, dad, do you want to cut the umbilical cord? And I said, no, you cut it and do it right. <laughs> I'm not cutting anything. I don't want, you know, I don't want to mess something up. That's our first baby. Do it, do it right, and don't let nothing bad happen, and, and, the, and she looked at me like I was crazy. You think guys just walk around wanting to cut umbilical cords? No, I don't want to cut an umbilical cord. I don't have a clue what that's about. Just make sure my baby's okay, then give her to me, and and, and she did, the, the midwife, both of them, they did an excellent job. It was, I was tempted to fly her to Uganda so we could do it again, but, um, and so, We have Bethany and and my wife and I. I mean, now you have this. Yesterday, there was no third person. Today, there's another human being that you're responsible for. Think about that. You've never had a baby before. You don't have a clue what you're doing. And now, keep this thing alive. and don't let anything happen to it. It's like, well, what do we do? Uh, Well, she needs to sleep. Okay, we'll let her sleep. So we let her go to sleep. And we're looking at her and just... You know, we're tired. We've been up all night. We can't stop looking at her. We're all excited. And, and, and so they were reading that, well, you shouldn't let them go too long without eating. And we're like, oh, no. Well, how long? And so we're reading more, and then they're saying, well, you know, they need to eat like every two hours. So we're trying to wake her up so she can eat, and she won't wake up. She's just sleeping. We're like, oh, no. She's, it, we're tired. We're exhausted. We've been up all night. We have no clue what we're doing. And, and now we're trying to wake a five-minute-old baby up so it can eat, maybe two hour, a two hour old baby up so she can eat and she won't wake up because she just wants to sleep. So the article says, we'll take a cold rag with ice and put it on the baby. And so now we're torturing the baby. She's moving to the, to the rag, trying to get it away from her, but she's not waking up. So we call the midwife. We're like, she won't wake up to eat. What do we do? And she's like, just let her sleep. And we were like, oh, well, this thing we saw on the Internet said if they don't wake up and eat, that, that, that you know, it's, no, turn off the Internet. <laughs> You're tired. <laughs> Stop torturing your baby. Go to sleep. <laughs> you need to be around people who can help you know what to do. Because if you haven't done it, you have no idea what to do. You've got to dedicate yourself to this. We had a problem recently with Bethany and and. I had no idea what to do. It just came out of nowhere. Here you have this perfect, beautiful, angelic little child who turned into a little devil. Overnight. Well, fortunately, we had people around us who could tell us, well, this is what this is, and this is how you deal with it. And it was tremendously helpful because what we were doing was not working. And, and you just get stuck in a circle, and you keep doing the same thing over and over, which is the definition of insanity. And now you're driving everybody in the house insane because you can't fix the problem. Until somebody shows up and says, well, "Why don't you try this and, and see how this works?" And it worked, and we were thankful. But how do you do all that on your own? You don't. If you want to be a husband, find husbands who raised good children. If you want to be a wife, find a woman who's a good wife and serves her husband well. If you want to be a mother? Find a good mother who has done well and learn how to be a mother. And and try to do it from a biblical perspective, not from a village cultural perspective. (laughs) That's what needs to happen. If you want to improve, you have to continually subject yourself to criticism. First of all, from yourself. And if you can't criticize yourself and deal with yourself yourself, you're in serious trouble and you're going nowhere. If you think you're the greatest thing that God gave to this planet and you never do anything wrong and you don't need any improvement, you're confused. You have to learn to sit down, look at yourself in the mirror and say, you screwed this up today. You didn't do this right. You need to fix it. Tomorrow needs to be better. Right? That's the first one. Secondly, you need to find someone that's going in the direction that you want to go in and let them teach you. Let them criticize you. Ask them, how am I doing? And then let them say it and not get mad. Can you do that? Because a lot of people can't. They say, what do you think about how I did this? Well, you didn't do a very good job. What do you know? (laughs) Why'd you ask if you didn't want to know? So, this life is a a test. It's an opportunity for personal development and and improvement from the Word of God. If you don't look at it that way and take advantage of it in that way, you're going to waste it. There's too much that needs to be done, especially in a place like Uganda. This country needs leadership. Uganda has some of the weakest men I have ever seen in my life. I have never encountered men so willing to beg for money while sitting on the side of the road doing nothing. It's not like they come and they say, I- I've been working all week, I just didn't earn enough money, and, and I- I'm a little bit short, could you help me? They're just sitting on the side of the road doing nothing, have no intention to earn money and say, I'm paio I'm about to chop your hand off is what I'm about to do. You don't need it. You don't use it for anything. Why not take it off? That is such a, a frail, weak mentality. Uganda needs men who will lead. They need women who will find a good husband and, and be a great wife and mother and, and be a great example for them to follow. The Bible says that the aged women should teach the younger women. What's one of the first things that they're supposed to teach them? To love their husbands. How could a woman who's never had a husband or who mistreats her husband or who dominates her husband teach you how to love your husband? She can't. And you live in a matriarchal society. You're going to have to break out of that. You're going to have to separate yourself from those things and get around... Women who will teach you to be godly mothers. Women who will teach you to be godly wives. Women who will teach you to be godly women. Because they're not. I don't care what they're doing or where they came from or where they're trying to go. I I hope they're doing well. I hope it all works out for them. But God has expectations of you. And one of the ways we learn how to temper those expectations is to get around people who have done what God wants us to do. All right. Now, Nebuchadnezzar finally brings Daniel in, and the king reveals his dream to him, and he is fully confident Daniel will provide the interpretation. Well, if he's so confident, why didn't he bring Daniel in the first time? Now, he is confident. He knows that Daniel can tell him the dream. He has no doubt. He says, I I know you can do this. (laughs) Why'd you bring him in last? Help me understand in your thinking why that was a good idea. What about that seemed appropriate? You know, I don't know what his ultimate aim was, but if it were me and I knew, who's the guy that told me the dream last time? Bring that guy in here because I've already fired everybody else. He calls Daniel by his Babylonian name, which is interesting. So he tells Daniel... I know that you know the holy gods. You, Belteshazzar, who's named after my God. <laughs> so he's still he's still a confused Gentile. He hasn't learned anything. Here we, are, uh, here we are again dealing with a king who can't get his, who can't focus on God. Who, who, who makes this great emotional proclamation about God and how wonderful he is, and then five years later, who? Isn't that, that's one of the gods we have on, on our, our mantle over the fire, right? We have this statue, that statue, this statue. Oh, the little cross between the Buddha and the, and the, uh, you know, the, the picture of Mary. <laughs> that's your God. You know, in Japan, one of the big problems you have in, in Japan or had, I don't, I don't know how it is now, Japan's very hard or can be, um, but they, uh, there's a, mission, a missionary there. I think his name is Robert Yerby. And he tells stories about how he was all excited because he's leading all these people to the Lord in Japan. And this, he's been there a long time, if he's still there. I, I don't know if he's still there, but um, uh, he get all excited. He's leading all these people to the Lord. And um, one of them invited him to, his, to their house. For dinner one night, which is a huge honor in Japan, it, it, it's a they're very closed. They don't invite you over. It's a very different culture. So he goes over and he walks in, and the Bible he gave them is between the 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 little the little um, you know their, their uh, Buddhist religion or their uh, Taoist religion, whichever one they they were. They were worshiping. They had all these statues of their gods on the shelf, and the Bible he gave them was just sitting on the shelf between all the statues of all their gods. All they did was take what he gave them and just add it to their religion. They didn't trust in Jesus Christ and abandon their religion. They just said, oh, we'll just put this up here. Now we've got a, you know, a, a, lucky, you know, a lo- lucky rabbit's foot, and we've got a, a lucky Bible, and we've got a lucky, you know, it, It's just, you just add, they just add it to what already exists, and it meant absolutely nothing to them. And so he he had to break the bad news, and that didn't go so well for dinner. (laughs) Well, Actually, you are still going to hell with all those. (laughs) Well, you gave me your lucky charm. Won't that keep me out of hell? No, that's not a lucky charm. That's the word of God. And and so it's a very difficult mission field to try and explain to people. You have to repent of that. You have to leave that. Now, for them, what that means, it's almost as bad as Islam. You leave that religion in Japan, they're, very, they're unbelievably, their they're, they're, they're family orientation is so dominant that if you shame the family, you're probably going to end up committing suicide. They have one of the highest suicide rates in the country or in the world. And it's because if you shame your family in any way, well, the only obvious thing to do is to kill yourself. There's no way to make it right. The next step is suicide, and and that's now Japan is an incredible place. I got to go there in 2020, but it's a very needy mission field. In fact, if I remember correct, right after World War II, Japan opened to missions, and nobody went, or very few. So there was a, there was an opportunity to preach the gospel to a country of broken people who had just been defeated in a horrendous war, and nobody went. Not many people go in still today. Some are, but Japan needs missionaries. There are a few churches there. In fact, the the reason we went was to go to one of the churches there, and it was a blessing. But you know who was in the church? Filipinos. (laughs) Americans and Filipinos. Filipinos. I don't think I met a single Japanese person in the church. So still a lot of work to do there. All right. The king shows great respect and admiration for Daniel. It is interesting to read what he says he knows about Daniel. He knows Daniel can do this. He knows Daniel can give the interpretation. He knows Daniel is connected to the holy gods, whatever that means. The king shows great respect and admiration for him, but that, again, begs the question, why bring him in last? I can't get over that. You you understand this is the man that has the ability to give you the answer. Don't bring him in. (laughs) Okay, now that I've gone through everyone else that I knew couldn't give me the answer, all right, bring in the guy that I know is going to tell me what I need to hear. You and I need to develop a habit As soon as you recognize a problem or an issue or something that needs to be addressed in your life, don't go talk to the person that you know is going to tell you how wonderful you are and everything is okay and you don't have to fix anything. Go find someone who will say, yeah, you've been screwing up. Stop it. Go to somebody who will tell you, you've been doing this wrong and you need to fix it. Now, not you don't need somebody to tell you that because they want to disrespect you or hurt you. It needs to be, the Bible says, iron sharpeneth iron. That means there has to be a little bit of a clash so that you can come out sharper. Right? Not a clash so you can be hurt or harmed. The Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. But the the, the cross-reference to that is... Uh, I don't know what to do with it because it talks about Jesus Christ when they saw him after he saves Israel. And they said, what are these, these wounds in thine hand? These are they which I received in the house of my friends. (laughs) So anyways, the passage reveals the great, uh, a great tree in the midst of the earth. It is essentially the source of food, shelter and rest for the beasts of the earth. It is a tree of great provision, and many depend upon that tree for sustenance. This is one of the uses God has for governments. But like Nebuchadnezzar, they allow their status as a source of provision and protection to go to their heads and bring them down.
0: We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.pleniusredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption podcast.